Thursday, the 25th of January. It's the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. It's actually also the closing day of the Octave of Christian Unity. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, you turned St. Paul's zeal for the way of his ancestors into zeal for you, who are the way and the truth. Open the minds of all people of goodwill to receive your transforming word. Lord Jesus Christ, you called St. Paul out of darkness into your marvelous light. Enlighten those who hate and persecute in the name of religion. Lord Jesus Christ, you sent St. Paul to preach the good news to unbelievers. Send eloquent preachers among the unchurched, the unconvinced, and the indifferent. Lord Jesus Christ, you commissioned St. Paul to bring new life to Jew and Gentile, man and woman, slave and free. Speak the word of life and love to all who dwell apart from you and are hostile to one another. Amen. That's uh, those are prayer intentions from the Magnificat. Uh, if I'm a person who's got to write prayer intentions for the Feast of the Conversion of Saint Paul, and I got to pick a few themes from the life of Paul, I don't know how you narrow that down to three or four. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Saint Paul's got quite a resume, and we know a lot about him. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on a Thursday. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lachman at the controls. You can check out our video feed in the show notes, and that is at sunrisemorningshow.com. Those show notes right there. That's how you can see some cool things this morning. Liz Lev's going to be along talking about the conversion of St. Paul in art. You've probably seen some of those famous depictions of St. Paul falling off a horse and stuff. Dr. Benjamin Lewis from the International Commission on English in the Liturgy We'll talk about a hymn from the Liturgy of the Hours for today's Feast of Paul's Conversion. We'll discuss Compassion and St. Albert the Great with Father Robert Nixon. And then Kevin Prendergast will talk about tips uh, and ideas for successfully fighting obesity this morning. So, good things to get to before the morning is out. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Israel-Hamas war is intensifying in the Gaza Strip. Israel's military said it's intensifying operations around the region's second largest city. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said yesterday his forces will continue to fight until they reach, quote, absolute victory. This comes as the U.S. said it struck Houthi missiles, weapons, depots and radar sites overnight in Yemen that we're getting ready to target ships in the Red Sea. Pope Francis once again condemned violence around the world as he looked ahead to the International Holocaust Remembrance Day coming up on Saturday, the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. During his general audience, the Holy Father said, may the remembrance and condemnation of that horrific extermination of millions of Jews and people of other faiths Help everyone not to forget the logic of hatred and violence can never be justified because it denies our very humanity. For yesterday's Feast of St. Francis de Sales, patron saint of Catholic communicators, the Vatican released the Pope's message for the World Communications Day on artificial intelligence and the human heart. 
From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. AI noted the Pope is radically affecting our world, including the field of communications, saying that these changes affect everyone. In this changing context, he invited us to reflect on how we can remain fully human and guide this cultural transformation to serve a good purpose. The Pope noted that our times have become rich in technology but poor in humanity, adding that the answer lies in returning to the human heart, which is where we encounter God. Wisdom of the heart, he said, is the virtue that enables us to integrate the whole and its parts, our decisions and their consequences, and our past and our future. Pope Francis pointed out that the human person is so much more than a cache of memory or data on which we are trained in order to determine our next word or next action. Human beings alone, he said, are able to truly make sense of reality. He acknowledged that AI is an extremely useful tool, but said its use must never distort our relationships with others or our perception of reality. The Pope urged governments to regulate artificial intelligence, but said regulation itself is insufficient to guide AI. Humanity must make a qualitative leap in order to become a multi-ethnic, multi-religious, and multicultural global society. Our human relationships, added Pope Francis, are what provide context to information and teach us to have compassion and to share. The Pope concluded his message for the 2024 World Communications Day by encouraging everyone to grow in wisdom of heart and freedom. Wisdom, said Pope Francis, can help us to put systems of artificial intelligence at the service of a fully human communication. I'm Devin Watkins. With the U.S. Supreme Court declining to stop the nation's first execution by nitrogen hypoxia, history is about to be made today. The state of Alabama is scheduled to put Kenneth Eugene Smith to death with this new method. He was sentenced to death for a 1988 murder and lived through a botched 2022 execution attempt. An attorney for Smith had asked the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to block the execution arguing that the untested method may violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. The Dallas mother, who was at the center of a high-profile abortion case in Texas last month, has been invited to attend the State of the Union address in Washington in March. Kate Cox had received a state order that would have allowed doctors to abort her preborn child, who had been deemed non-viable, but the ruling was overturned by the Texas Supreme Court. She ultimately traveled out of state to obtain the abortion. Cox has accepted an invitation to be a guest of First Lady Jill Biden at the State of the Union address. Democrats say they are making abortion a key issue in the upcoming elections. The Republican-led effort to impeach Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is moving forward. Brian Shook reports. The House Homeland Security Committee will mark up articles of impeachment against Mayorkas Tuesday, teeing up a possible full House vote in early February. Republicans have long criticized the secretary's handling of the southern border as migrant crossings hit record levels. Democrats, meanwhile, argue the bar of proving a high crime or misdemeanor has not been met. I'm Brian Shook. And the Los Angeles Chargers are hiring Jim Harbaugh to be the franchise's next head head coach. According to ESPN, Harbaugh, who is coming off a national championship win with Michigan, is returning to the NFL after nine years with the Wolverines. And he's also returning to the Chargers, where he played quarterback for the franchise while they were still in San Diego during the late 90s. The Wolverines, meanwhile, 
are apparently moving quickly to find their replacement for Harbaugh. ESPN reporting the university is expected to offer offensive coordinator and O-line coach Sharon Moore their now vacant head coaching job. The 37-year-old Moore filled in for Harbaugh while he was suspended this past season. Well, I have, I have a few questions, but the uh, the main one has to do with sort of like a pronunciation issue. Okay. Because uh, normally when you talk about teams, you tend to talk about quarterbacks and coaches. So Belichick and Brady, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Things like that. Uh, in, in Cincinnati, Taylor and Burrow. Uh, you know, Reed and Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Harbaugh and Herbert or Herbert and Harbaugh is going to be hard. <laughs> really difficult. It's going to be very difficult. Oh, well, maybe I won't be talking about the Chargers much. Maybe not. Just oh, for, actually, you know just what? This for is pronunciation. This, this frees reasons. you up because now you can be a Jim Harbaugh fan because you weren't allowed to be when he was at Michigan. Well, it doesn't mean I have to be still. No. We'll have to see if the Chargers become a threat, and then we'll have to just see how, how we feel about that. Right, exactly. That. I mean, they got the pieces. You got it. They got the pieces. Today is Thursday, January the 25th. It is the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. Happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on a Thursday morning. Liz Lev joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show, art historian, guide to Italy and Rome, author of How Catholic Art Saved the Faith. You can find her online at elizabeth-lev.com as well as mastersgalleryrome.com. Good morning, Liz. Good morning to you, Annie. How are you? Oh, I am excited to talk to you about the conversion of St. Paul in art, a good way to celebrate the feast day. I want to start by reading um, a bit of his conversion story in Acts chapter 9. So this is what St. Luke tells us. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. The story, of course, goes on from there. Now, Liz, nowhere in what I read about the conversion of St. Paul was there a mention of a horse. So why (laughs) is it that we assume that he fell off a horse? Well, the Renaissance really loved practicing that horse painting. After all, Leonardo (laughs) da Vinci was a specialist. But I think it helps to add to a sense of the traveling, the sense of the urgency. Like, I think one of the reasons why they liked the horse was that originally it would give the idea of a Paul with this fire in his eyes, this haste 
to go and persecute more Christians. So this man represented on a horse, even the fact that he wears armor in most paintings, right? Mm -hmm. He usually is wearing a suit of armor. It doesn't say anything about him wearing a suit of armor. But this sort of uh, uh, martial determination to round up and rid himself of the Christians, I think, is what they were looking for when they tried to add these extra components. Later on, that horse will take on another meaning, but we're going to get to that when we get to one of the paintings we're going to talk about. Awesome. Well, let's start with what I would consider the most famous of the paintings depicting this scene of of St. Paul falling off the horse, which is The Conversion on the Way to Damascus by Caravaggio. How did this painting come about? Well, it's a very interesting commission because it was placed in the Church of Santa Maria del Popolo in Rome, and it was actually commissioned in 1599 with the hopes that it would be ready for Jubilee year 1600, which of course it wasn't because after all this is Italy. But the fact (laughs) is it was supposed to be in place for this great pilgrimage year when you would have hundreds of thousands of people entering through what was the northern entrance, and the first thing they would do would be to walk into the first church they saw would be this church uh, dedicated to the Blessed Virgin. And there, uh, it was, a, it was a, uh, a man named Chirazi, who was very close to the reigning pope, commissioned Caravaggio to do paintings on either side of the chapel. So it wouldn't be the altarpiece. The paintings that would face each other would be the conversion of Saul, and it would be a cross from the death of St. Peter. And the reason why that's so important is that the tradition in Rome from the beginning of this type of imagery was always to put Peter and Paul's death next to each other. Hmm. But Caravaggio was given this very interesting uh, uh, change in which we would have the death of Peter and the conversion of Saul. And, of course, the reason for this has to do with the fact we're in the middle of the Protestant Reformation and a reminder that Paul, who the Protestants have claimed so dramatically, a reminder that he needed to be put on the right course. And so that was one of the reasons why that particular subject matter was chosen. Wow. Okay, so one of the things that always stands out with Caravaggio is his use of light. And, of course, we read in the Scripture that there was this light from heaven that flashed about him. So can you talk about how Caravaggio depicted that in this painting? This was a perfect setup for Caravaggio, because Caravaggio is the painter of this Chiaro scuro, light and dark, and he particularly became famous because of this use of a beam of light that cuts through the darkness. And so to begin with, he's going to dare to use a much more shadowy version where we just see this beam of light that's traveling from the heavens downwards. Now, he made a major change. He did a first version where there were soldiers and rearing horses. He made a major change when he decided to redo the painting into the version that we see today. And that version, we do see a horse, but it's not a war horse. It's not a sleek horse. It's just a workhorse. It's a rent a horse. He had to go from here to there. He rented a horse. It's like renting a cheap car at the airport, right? Yeah. And he's fallen off his cheap horse, and you have the minder, the guy who's in charge of the horse. You have the horse, and you have Saul. You have just have three people. And the horse, in this case, he does not rear. He does not move. He does not do anything. Why? Because we are distinguishing between the people, the the creatures that do not 
see the light versus that unique reception of the revelation that Saul is having. So the use of the horse in this in this case is to represent the contrast between the dumb animal that doesn't doesn't perceive what's happening, whereas Saul at the bottom, whose arms are open, receiving this incredible light. Wow. Wow, that's beautiful. Now, I want to get to one other painting here because uh, this is the most famous one, but there is also one by another rather famous artist named Michelangelo. Tell us about it. Well, this is the problem with Caravaggio. <laughs> Poor Caravaggio painting in 1599, this pairing of the death of St. Peter and the, and the conversion of Saul, knows there's only one other precedent for the work. Mm-hmm. And that was when Michelangelo, in about 1550, 1545 to 1550, he paints right outside the Sistine Chapel in what's called the Pauline Chapel, a room used for conclaves, just like the Sistine Chapel. He paints these colossal death of Peter and conversion of Saul. And Michelangelo's going to throw in, you know, what, I think it's 25 figures between <laughs> heaven and earth, massive fresco. And the worst part of the whole story is that Caravaggio's real name was Michelangelo Marisi. <laughs> so, like, you know, he gets to Rome, he's like, hi, my name is Michelangelo. They're like, no, you're not. It's that jersey's retired. So there he is in one of his first public works who has to face this competition with Michelangelo's massive, massive painting. It's so cool. I think my favorite part is, like, Jesus is, like, throwing the light down on Paul in Michelangelo's version. It's pretty neat. And if you've been watching the video feed, you've gotten a glimpse at all of these paintings. Thank you so much, Travis, for doing it. We've been talking to Liz Lev. You can find her linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Liz, always a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you very much. All right. It's 17 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. One of the reasons we should go to Mass is because it is the food of the saints that we receive. And for the saints, they understood rightly that the time after Holy Communion, that those moments are the most precious moments of our lives. 
The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from the EWTN Chapel, every morning, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. The Israel-Hamas war is intensifying once again in the Gaza Strip. Pope Francis yesterday spoke on the vice of avarice, continuing his catechesis series on vice and virtue. And for the Feast of St. Francis de Sales yesterday, the Vatican released his message for the World Communications for World Communications Day on Artificial Intelligence and the Human Heart. Well, I can tell you that uh, we can talk about artificial intelligence. There's a lot of processes that can be automated in the life of a radio show, but uh, we would not be able to do what we do unless we had a real human being engineering at the board, namely Paul Lockman, Buon Onomastico. Yeah, happy Happy feast. name day. The conversion the of St. Paul. St. Paul's conversion. There's also the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul in June that he mm-hmm. gets to claim, along with the Feast of St. Paul shipwrecked. Yep. So he gets a few. That's the one I consider his onomastico. Oh, his St. Saint, Saint shipwrecked. 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 Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe you'll have to wear a pirate's jersey on that day. Although I don't know if Paul he could bring would himself to never wear, ever be able to bring do himself that. to be able to no. wear a pirate's jersey. No. Maybe Buccaneers. Indeed. It's 21 past. To think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What is sacramental grace? Sacramental grace is a special help which God gives to attain the end for which he instituted each sacrament. Just as the sacraments are aimed toward a particular end, baptism is to bring us into the family of God. And so the grace of baptism then does the very thing that it's intended to do. Marriage is in order to help the man and the woman come to heaven together. And so there's a grace of marriage specific to it, that it's different from the grace of the Eucharist or the grace of holy orders. And similarly, there's a grace of holy orders that is not the same as the grace of marriage. God gives grace in so many manifold ways. We can thank him for bringing us to himself through these varied ways in the sacraments. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. With us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Benjamin Lewis, Director of Translation Services for the International Commission on English in the Liturgy. 
Good morning, Dr. Lewis. Welcome back. Thank you. Good morning, Anna. It is good to have you. And we in the church mark the feast of the conversion of St. Paul on January 25th. And we're going to be talking about the hymn for louds on the feast day. Now, was this a hymn that underwent some translation renovation by you all at ISEL? Yeah, so this is a hymn that wasn't ever translated um, the first time around. Hmm. Um, so this is this is new material that people are going to be getting. Nice. Um, you can get it already in the Divine Office hymnal, and when the new uh, version of the Liturgy of the Hours comes out, this will be uh, included in that whole suite of texts. Well, take us through this hymn for it. Sure. So this is the Lauds hymn or morning prayer hymn for the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. It's just a, it's a real short, just two verses. Illustrious teacher, Paul, instruct our way of life. Make haste to help us raise our minds to heaven above until the perfect is more wondrously bestowed as the imperfect and the partial pass away. Eternal glory to the blessed Trinity all might and honor, virtue and exultant praise, who reign forever, God, the perfect three in one, before the ages, now and through eternity. Amen. It's really beautiful and some some echoes of, of one of the most famous passages in St. Paul, right? First Corinthians thirteen. Yeah, yeah. So you caught that echo of the very yeah. end of uh, the chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians about, uh, you know, when I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present, I am, uh, I know partially, then I w- shall know fully as I am fully known, right? So we, mm-hmm. we know partially and we prophesy partially, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So there's this beautiful expectation of of heaven, um, and the life to come. Um, but there's also a, 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 a slight echo in the second line of the first verse, raise our minds to heaven above. There's a little echo of uh, Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, mm. where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not of what is on earth. So there's that little echo of just sort of setting our minds on the things of heaven. Yeah. Um, so there's some lovely echoes of Paul's theology and his epistles. Um, but this is a really interesting hymn text because we just get two verses here for the conversion of Paul. But the same hymn text, we get um, some different verses. It's a much longer hymn. We get different verses for uh, for the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Mm. They're, they're the same different verses from the same hymn text that's used for both Peter and Paul. And then later on in the year, when we celebrate the dedication of the basilicas of Peter and Paul, we get the full three verses, which mention both Peter and Paul and wow. have the doxology. So you get little pieces of it as we celebrate Paul and Peter individually. And then later in the year, when we celebrate them both together, you 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 get these texts again all together. So it's a wonderful um, way that the liturgy reflects how Peter and Paul are like these sort of twin apostles, founders of the Church of Rome. Absolutely, just like Romulus and Remus, the twin founders of pagan Rome. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's so cool. So what, um, 
when we when we look at this this verse um, that that has the echoes of of Paul's theology from his epistles, I, I mean, what was in the liturgy of the hours as sort of the placeholder hymn ahead of it? Do you have that in front of you by any chance? Now you're asking, and I don't have it pulled up um, in front of me right now to tell you what what we do have currently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but this is a it's this is one of those situations where um, sometimes the older ICEL translations you would get kind of glossing over some of the scriptural language, but in the more recent ICEL translations, we've been particularly attentive to this these scriptural echoes and wanting to make sure that people can hear them and understand that so many of these texts in the liturgy they didn't just come out of nowhere. These wow. there's they're steeped in in biblical language. Well, I really love the doxology at the end, particularly. Um, so is this a doxology that shows up a lot in the Liturgy of the Hours, or is this going to be specific to the Peter and Paul feast days that you were just mentioning? Yeah, it's specific to the Peter and Paul feast days, but you wow. will see the same doxology in those three feast days. So mm-hmm. it'll, if you're following the Liturgy of the Hours, by the end of the year, you'll say, wait a minute, I, I've heard that a few I've times. i a few times. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. You keep an eye out for those. Of course, the uh, Feast of the Chair of St. Peter coming up um, a little later in the wintertime, uh, February 22nd, I believe is that feast day. And of course, we're talking about the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul on January 25th with Dr. Benjamin Lewis. Dr. Lewis, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. And Matt, I'm just curious because we got about a minute before we got to get to the news here. Uh, This connection between the conversion of St. Paul and, and Peter as well, I think is a really cool one for us Catholics. Well, it's also the basis of the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, mm-hmm. which when it was started back in 1908, uh, was started on what was then on the church calendar for Roman Catholics, uh, the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter, and intended to end eight days later on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. So even that idea of the Christian Unity octave, and this goes back to what Saint, uh, what Liz Lev was saying about yeah. some of the positioning of the Peter and Paul art. Uh, of of seeing those two very strong personalities with very different missions, uh, the need for them to, to to understand that they are part of the same church. Yeah, they different missions, brothers. but very much the same mission at same the same church. time. Yeah. Same Christ they serve. Absolutely. Saints Peter and Paul pray, pray for, for us. us. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna with news. The Israel-Hamas war is intensifying again in the Gaza Strip. Israel's military said it's intensifying operations around the region's second largest city. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said yesterday his forces will continue fighting until they reach, quote, absolute victory. This coming, as the U.S. has said, it struck Houthi missiles, weapons depots and radar sites overnight in Yemen, which were reportedly getting ready to target ships in the Red Sea. Pope Francis focused on avarice as he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues at his general audience yesterday. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Avarice is a kind of attachment to money that prevents man from generosity, Pope Francis said. È una malattia del cuore, non del portafogli. It is a sickness of the heart, he continued, not of the wallet. Continuing his series of catechesis on the vices and virtues, the Pope explained that avarice is not about how much wealth a person has, but is a sin that affects us in a variety of ways. 
Following the Desert Fathers, Pope Francis recommended meditating on death as a cure for avarice, saying that the reality of death reminds us that we are not masters of the world, but move about it like pilgrims and strangers. Finally, Pope Francis warned against becoming slaves of our possessions and instead invited us to be generous to all, especially those who need us most. E siamo generosi, generosi con tutti e generosi con coloro che hanno più bisogno di noi. At the end of his general audience on Wednesday, Pope Francis looked ahead to the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, observed on the anniversary of the liberation of Nazi concentration camp at Auschwitz-Birkenau. The Remembrance Day takes place this Saturday, January 27th. As he acknowledged the horrors perpetrated during the Second World War, the Pope once again appealed for an end to all wars, mentioning especially the bombardment of civilians in Ukraine and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Sabato prossimo, 27 gennaio, si celebra la giornata internazionale di commemorazione delle vittime dell'Olocausto. I'm Christopher Wells. On yesterday's Feast of St. Francis de Sales, patron of Catholic communicators, the Vatican released the Pope's message for World Communications Day on artificial intelligence in the human heart. He says, quote, it is up to us to decide whether we will become fodder for algorithms or will nourish our hearts with that freedom without which we cannot grow in wisdom. Such wisdom matures by using time wisely and embracing our vulnerabilities. He said, lest our humanity lose its bearings, let us seek the wisdom that was present before all things. It will help us also to put systems of artificial intelligence at the service of a fully human communication. With the U.S. Supreme Court declining to stop the nation's first execution by nitrogen hypoxia, history is about to be made today. The state of Alabama is scheduled to put Kenneth Eugene Smith to death with this new method. He was sentenced to death for a 1988 murder and lived through a botched execution in 2022. An attorney for Smith had asked the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals to block the execution, arguing the untested method may violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. Police are on the hunt for a man who disrupted a Manhattan mass on Sunday, pepper-spraying a congregant. Andrew Whitman reports. A mystery man in a blue cap, blue jacket, and khakis walked into the noon mass at historic St. Peter's Roman Catholic Church near Ground Zero, spit on the altar, then pepper-sprayed the 70-year-old man who tried to stop him. The NYPD turning to the public for help Wednesday. They say the man ran off east down Barclays Street. No one was hurt. St. Peter's, which opened in 1785, became a sanctuary where rescue workers laboring at Ground Zero could eat and rest. Andrew Whitman, NBC News Radio, New York. Ohio lawmakers are banning so-called gender-affirming surgeries and hormones for minors. The Ohio Senate yesterday joined House lawmakers in improving an override of Governor DeWine's veto on House Bill 68, which also bans boys who identify as girls from competing in female sports in school. It's 35.
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. In every class of society and in every position, we find the reprobate and the elect. We see Judas condemned and Matthias elected. Judas received far more graces than Matthias. Nevertheless, Matthias faithfully persevered and died a saintly death, while the miserable Judas, after being an apostle, became an apostate. This gives every one of us reason to fear, in whatever class or condition we find ourselves, because there are dangers everywhere. By observing our state in life faithfully, We make our lives and wills conform to the will of God. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Father Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We've been going through St. Albert the Great's The Paradise of the Soul. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Eddie. It's great to be with you today. It is great to have you. And today we are going to be looking at St. Albert's thoughts on the virtue of compassion. So how does he define compassion, first of all? Well, um, the, the literal meaning of the word compassion is to share in the sufferings of another. And he talks about this in three different ways. He talks firstly about compassion for God, which mm. might strike us as being something we don't normally think about, you know. Yeah. Um, but he says this is mindfulness of all the ways in which God is being offended, both by our actions and by the sins of the world, and above all, to be mindful of the sufferings of Christ, that even the whole universe shared in the suffering of Christ. And and so, that you know, this, the suffering of Christ, is literally the suffering of God, so that we should feel a compassion towards God. And normally we probably think only in terms of God's compassion towards us. But, you know, uh, as he shows, it actually works the other way as well, that our hearts really need to feel um, this suffering of God. He speaks then also of suffering towards one's neighbors. 
And uh, this is a sharing in the pain they feel in the depths of our heart. To feel the pain of others as if it's our own. To, to suffer their sufferings as if they're our own suffering. And as a consequence of this, to try to help them, to relieve them in whatever way we can. And finally, it extends also to the souls of our brothers and sisters in purgatory. Yeah. And I think this is so important. Um, and we sometimes refer to the souls in purgatory as the church suffering. And um, we, by prayers, by good intentions, by acts of self-sacrifice, which help to uh, alleviate their situation. I found this so fascinating and enlightening, this entire chapter on compassion and, and looking at it from from this perspective of, of Christianity that, I mean, our compassion for others, let's set aside compassion for, for God specifically, but our compassion for our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, is actually compassion yeah. for God. He makes that point. It is, because God felt such compassion for humanity that he came to earth and he died upon the cross. He did this in order to relieve our pain and suffering and um, to win for us the prize of eternal salvation. Now, we also um, are bound to feel this same, to share in the suffering of our brothers and sisters here on earth. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, by doing this, we're actually helping God in his mission of salvation. So cool. And I think everyone, uh, every human being has this natural instinct of compassion Yeah, to, to others whenever they see it. Well, so, um, you know, we... Go ahead, Father. Are you still there? Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. So um, we feel the sufferings of others and we do our best to alleviate that. And in doing this, we're helping God's own mission of salvation. We're furthering what Christ came to the earth to do. Well, compassion, though, is not just saying, oh, what a shame that person is suffering, is it? Absolutely. And he makes this point uh, very clearly when he talks about signs of true and false compassion. And uh, there's a kind of false compassion when people make a show of sharing the sufferings of others. But, you know, it doesn't actually move them to any action. And sometimes inside they might even feel secretly uh, slightly pleased to hear about the suffering of others, if it's someone who they don't like or, a, a, you know, a, an enemy or a rival or whatever. Um, but no, he's saying that we really need to do all that we can because love, uh, compassion, they only become real when they're expressed in actions. Otherwise, if, it, if, we, if we think it's just a feeling, then it, you know, it doesn't really amount to anything concrete and definite. And we see that in Christ himself. It wasn't just that he you know, felt sorry for people, but he actually helped them, either with healing and um, on, a, on a universal level by the salvation which he brought to us all. Is prayer considered action, Father? Because I feel compassion for, I don't know, the, the people in Palestine right now or people in Ukraine, but there there isn't much action I can take yeah. outside of my prayers. Yeah. Does that count? Exactly. So prayer is a very powerful form of action. And, I mean, this applies obviously to the souls in purgatory. We can't actually yeah. do anything to help them out except for pray 
except for, you know, offering our own spiritual intentions and sacrifices to God. And the same with situations like the people in Palestine. I mean, on a practical level, we can't do anything. We can't travel over, you know, around the world and go and um, help them out in some concrete way. No, but we can help them out very powerfully by praying for them. And I think sometimes we underestimate this power of prayer, that prayer is actually a, a very powerful uh, psychic and spiritual force and makes a real difference to the outcome of things in the world. And we see this again and again. Yeah, and St. Albert writes, the com compassion achieves a double purpose. It confirms the virtue of charity and it advances our sharing in the kingdom of God. And as St. Albert often does, he, he takes compassion to a level that some of us might consider unreachable uh, because we're not just called to be compassionate with, say, like the poor and, and vulnerable around us. We're also called to be compassionate towards our enemies. We are. And, you know, I think this is a particular unique point to our Christian faith, that our, our love, our duty of compassion extends even to our enemies. And I think if we can, you know, whoever our enemy is, um, or people who we don't like or we don't approve, we should try at least to find, to feel something of their pain, to feel for them, to try to help them, to wish them well in a genuine sense. And even if this is only praying for them. Um, but yes, we, we need to extend this compassion, even to people we don't like, because we need to recognize that every single human being on this earth, whether good or bad, we're all creations of, of, of the same God. And Jesus wills us all to be saved one way or the other. So I think we need to, to bear that in mind and, and to try to our very best to love our enemies, to help them out if we can, and certainly to pray for them. Yeah, certainly. Now, could you uh, share with us some of his prayer for compassion to close us, Father? So he finishes with this wonderful prayer for compassion. Um, o Lord, your compassion is vaster and more profound than anything that we could possibly imagine or hope for. Through this divine compassion, you took our sufferings and sinfulness upon yourself in your agony and death upon the cross. Through that same compassion, I beseech you, O Lord, transfix my heart with sorrow and penitence for all the innumerable sins and the offenses I have committed against you and all your servants in the world. Let me be moved to sincere compassion for all the sufferings of body and soul that I afflict on my neighbors. May I share in their pains as if they were all my own, for we are all limbs of the same body. May I constantly be mindful of the fact that all human beings are brothers and sisters, for we are each offspring of the same celestial Father. May I endeavor to relieve the pains of those suffering by my prayers and works of penance, so that they may quickly come to behold the wonders of your glory, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Beautiful prayer to God for compassion, written by St. Albert the Great, and you can read it in The Paradise of the Soul, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've been talking about it with Father Robert Nixon. Father, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you, Annie, and God bless all your listeners. And you as well, Father. Thank you very much. 
All right, it's coming up on 13 till here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, joins us next. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. This is Father Josh McCarty. We need Catholic Radio in order to invite people and challenge people to lift their eyes from themselves to God and to love. And Catholic Radio challenges people to see the good in the world, the faith that God offers, and the community that He's drawing us into. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Aiken is here. Open forum, Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. We continue on this feast of the conversion of St. Paul. There are all kinds of conversions, of course. Uh, There's a key one that has to happen in our souls, but we're always trying to make changes, turn a corner, have some sort of kind of new life happen in us. And uh, that's one of the very good reasons we have Kevin Prendergast on the show every week. Pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast has decades of experience in practice as a licensed counselor, but also in the classroom helping to train uh, deacons, priests, lay pastoral ministers. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. I got a question for you to start off. Uh Uh-oh. You ready for this? This is a challenge. So, okay, I've got this pill. You know, it's three weeks until Lent, a little less than that. And if if you take this pill, you won't have to do any prayer, fasting, penance, (laughs) uh, almsgiving, and you you get a free pass. So would you take the pill, Matt? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'd that, say that's a trick question, Kevin. And I don't trust <laughs> okay. <him. laughs> All right. But it, it's kind of ties into our topic today. That's an here, interesting right? point, though. Yeah, especially given what we're going to talk about today. Yep. So so what I wanted to talk about, there's two two big areas, and these are these are very difficult to talk about, and people have all kinds of biases and thoughts about this. Uh, and what I want to say is that with, there are certain kind of conditions that we have either psychologically or physically that are extremely difficult uh, to deal with. And a lot of the doctors that I talk to 
say, well, we don't really have a cure for something like diabetes, but we can manage that. And I do a lot with people who are extremely overweight, obese. I ran a, a support group for bariatric patients for 10 years. I do a lot with drug addicts. And I think most people in the chemical dependency field would say, we're not talking about curing anybody or removing it. But what I want to hit on, Matt, for all of our listeners, uh, that we tend to be judgmental. So we look at people who are overweight, obese, or have a drug addiction, that there's something wrong. They, they don't have enough willpower. They're just not trying hard enough. They're not serious. They're not sincere. So that's, that's kind of a big thing. They're lazy. You know, that's the reason they got this way. So let me, let me address that a little bit. So in terms of, let's talk about the obesity first. So there's two big things, and, and these are medical interventions for people who are morbidly obese, and, and there's problems with obesity, especially diabetes. There's all kinds of other health problems if somebody is too far overweight. So the bariatric surgery, the weight loss surgery, and then the newer weight uh, lost pills that are available, a couple of those are out there. And about 42% of adults uh, are actually obese in the United States. One out of seven have diabetes. So that's that's pretty pretty serious, right? And then with uh, you know the, uh, the drug addicts, there, there's some what we call medication-assisted treatment. And there's probably, last year, there were 2 million prescriptions written for those to help people who are on the opiates, who uh, there are some for uh, alcoholics as well. But the success rates, when we look at, well, how, how does that work out? So it certainly saves lives. Like I carry a pack of Narcan on my car just, uh, you know, because people do get overdoses, right? But after bariatric surgery, you go through that intensive surgery. Uh, it's very invasive. But after a year, only one out of five of the people who have the surgery have maintained 10% uh, weight loss. And after two years, it's more than half of them have gone back to their original weight or more. Uh, and then with the, even with the weight loss pills that are out there, uh, the latest studies I saw is there's, there's a lot of people taking those. But after the uh, coupons run out from the pharmaceutical industries that cost about $1,000 a year, they have side effects. And so after after a year, uh, to, you know, 66% of people stop taking them, right? Mm. So, so this is, you know, like we've got something that will save lives, which is super important. But then we also, you know, we don't have a, a tremendous success rate over the long haul. Uh, so it's important to keep people from suffering and dying and uh, to mitigate the, the health consequences. But is that all we can do? So I think that's, we've talked about this a lot, that, you know, we certainly want to use all the tools of psychology and especially medicine to try to help us. But but we, we're also, because we're Catholics, we believe we have a body and soul. So the things that we're talking about here, these treatments really address the body. And a lot of the primary care physicians I talk to when I, and I ask this frequently, I say, well, what percentage of your patients who are diabetic actually follow through with the things that you recommend that they do. And they generally just get a sad look on their face and shake their head. So that, you know, people were, you know, those of us in the helping professions feel very powerless that uh, we're not we're not helping people to get better. And I think part of it is this this idea that in the United States there's a pill for everything. And so we want what's convenient and we don't want to do anything difficult. So maybe even to manage these conditions, maybe we're not going to be cured, but to manage either drug addiction or, you know, severe weight problem, we could we could take the pill, we could do the surgery, but is there something more that we need to do? 
so some of my friends use this expression that, you know, God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves, but God won't do for us what we can do for ourselves, or that, you know, we may be powerless to cure ourselves or to, you know, to get over this completely. Maybe it's a cross that we have to bear for the rest of our lives, but are there some things that we can do on our own? And I think our faith gives us some way to accept this condition yeah. as a cross and then to be charitable to be, that's the rest of us can be charitable and kind and not judgmental. I can't help but think as you're saying that last part about the quote from St. Augustine when he says, he who created us without our help will not save us without our consent. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> the idea Matt. That we've got yeah. to cooperate uh, with the process. But I wonder, uh, before we let you go on this, um, when it comes to, you know, particularly the, the question of obesity and, and people just thinking that nothing works or something worked for a couple months and, and, and whatever, there's, there could be a lot, maybe a, a resignation to, to a situation and just yeah. thinking like, this is just mm-hmm. the way that it's always going to be. What right. would you say to somebody who's who's in that headspace right now to to let them know that they don't have to just, you know, accept this sort of miserable, unhealthy condition uh, yeah. forever? So, so with both people in that category and also with uh, drug addicts, I think, you know, one thing that people need to understand is people carry around a tremendous sense of shame uh, that they've tried. They really feel like they've tried everything. And so I think our faith says uh, God doesn't want us to despair. Uh, there are some things he's going to give us the grace to do what we can do to make it a little bit better. Uh, we, you know, we may not be able to lose 100 pounds on our own or to stop using the drugs altogether right away, uh, but that we don't want to give up help and we need support to do that. And I think people who have these conditions frequently feel marginalized. They feel defective. They feel that everybody else is judging feel them. unloved and judged and all of yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's an examination of conscience the rest of us have to do as well. Yeah, be that hand that reaches out to help those brothers and sisters in need. Thanks so much, Kevin Prendergast. Another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after the break. It's 3 Till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. On this Thursday, the 25th of January, the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, let's begin by praying Paul's own words from Ephesians chapter 3 in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to accomplish far more than all we ask or imagine by the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. St. Paul, pray for us. Actually, he was praying for us in that passage. I don't know if you knew that, but St. Paul is praying for you and me in Ephesians 3. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running. You can check out the Facebook live stream and the YouTube video stream in the show notes. They're both linked there at sunrisemorningshow.com. 
Ephesians.com. Uh, up this hour, Dr. John Bergsman will talk about Ephesians and tie it back to Genesis. He's going to talk about a different part of the book of Ephesians this morning. Rita Heikenfeld is talking about beans on Bible foods. She's got a great recipe. We look forward to Rita, as Paul would say, rolling that beautiful bean footage. Gary Machuda will continue our series on his book, The Gospel Truth. And then at the end of the hour, we'll check in with Courtney Brown from Ruah Woods with more tips on how to instill principles of theology of the body in middle schoolers. So... Lots to get to on a Thursday morning. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The Israel-Hamas war continues to intensify in the Gaza Strip. Israel's military has said the operations are intensifying now around the region's second largest city. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said yesterday his forces will continue fighting until they've reached, quote, absolute victory. This coming, as the U.S. has said, it struck Houthi missiles, weapons depots, and radar sites overnight in Yemen, which were apparently ready to target ships in the Red Sea. Pope Francis again condemned violence around the world during his general audience yesterday. He did so while looking ahead to Saturday's commemoration of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. The Holy Father said, may the remembrance and condemnation of that horrific extermination of millions of Jews and people of other faiths, which took place in the first half of the last century, help everyone not to forget that the logic of hatred and violence can never be justified because it denies our very humanity. Also yesterday, for the Feast of St. Francis de Sales, patron of Catholic Communicators, The Vatican released the Pope's message for World Communications Day on artificial intelligence and the human heart. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. AI noted the Pope is radically affecting our world, including the field of communications, saying that these changes affect everyone. In this changing context, he invited us to reflect on how we can remain fully human and guide this cultural transformation to serve a good purpose. The Pope noted that our times have become rich in technology but poor in humanity, adding that the answer lies in returning to the human heart, which is where we encounter God. Wisdom of the heart, he said, is the virtue that enables us to integrate the whole and its parts, our decisions and their consequences, and our past and our future. Pope Francis pointed out that the human person is so much more than a cache of memory or data on which we are trained in order to determine our next word or next action. Human beings alone, he said, are able to truly make sense of reality. He acknowledged that AI is an extremely useful tool, but said its use must never distort our relationships with others or our perception of reality. The Pope urged governments to regulate artificial intelligence, but said regulation itself is insufficient to guide AI. Humanity must make a qualitative leap in order to become a multi-ethnic, multi-religious, and multicultural global society. Our human relationships, added Pope Francis, are what provide context to information and teach us to have compassion and to share. The Pope concluded his message for the 2024 World Communications Day by encouraging everyone to grow in wisdom of heart and freedom. Wisdom, said Pope Francis, can help us to put systems of artificial intelligence at the service of a fully human communication. I'm Devin Watkins. With the U.S. Supreme Court declining to stop the nation's first execution by nitrogen hypoxia, history is about to be made. The state of Alabama is scheduled to put Kenneth Eugene Smith to death with this new method. He was sentenced to death 
for a 1988 murder and lived through a botched 2022 execution attempt. An attorney for Smith asked the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals to block the execution, arguing that this untested method may violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. The Dallas mother, who was at the center of a high-profile abortion case in Texas last month, has now been invited to attend the State of the Union address in March. Kate Cox received a state court order that would have allowed doctors to abort her preborn child who had been deemed unviable, but that ruling was overturned by the Texas Supreme Court. The mother of two ultimately traveled out of state to obtain this abortion. Cox had accept, has accepted an invitation to be a guest of First Lady Jill Biden at the State of the Union address. Democrats say they are making abortion a key issue in the upcoming elections. The Republican-led effort to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is moving forward. Brian Shook reports. The House Homeland Security Committee will mark up articles of impeachment against Mayorkas Tuesday, teeing up a possible full House vote in early February. Republicans have long criticized the secretary's handling of the southern border as migrant crossings hit record levels. Democrats, meanwhile, argue the bar of proving a high crime or misdemeanor has not been met. I'm Brian Shook. And the manufacturer of Robitussin is recalling eight lots of cough syrup due to microbial contamination. Yesterday, the company Halion announced that they are voluntarily recalling lots of their Robitussin Honey CF Max medicine for adults. Specific recalled lot numbers can be found online, and the company says people with these products should stop consuming them immediately. That seems counterproductive. Well, I already didn't trust robots, and now I don't trust Robitussin. Right. That's yeah. all I have. Yeah. I've been, we've been having some bronchial issues in my house of late. Well, why do you think I brought this up, Matt? Well, it's Robitussin that's supposed to bring the stuff up. Isn't um is Robitussin is that the one was that the purple medicine that we took as kids that I think it tasted comes in many really colors. really really delicious or was that the gross I, one? I don't think I think it's pretty gross. Okay. What was the good one? Dimatap. Dimatap. That was what tasted good. I feel like half of these things are just like placebos anyway. Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It tastes The worse good. it tastes, the better it'll make you feel. Yeah, I think well, that's the logic of it. The better it tastes, the better it made me feel because, you know, I just wanted purple medicine. I guess so. I don't I was a kid. What can I say? Anyway. Yeah, Robitussin's like that reddish one that tastes yeah ugh. 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 i don't know what they're it in the back of my throat as you talk <laughs> <laughs> anyway today is thursday january the 25th it is the feast of the conversion of saint paul happy to have you along with us here on the sunrise morning show Dr. John Berksma is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, we are continuing to study Chapter 5 of St. Paul's Letter to the Ephesians and um, in an effort to understand God's plan for marriage. We're coming to the end of the chapter now, verses uh, 29 through 33. Here they are. 
Actually, I'm going to start with 28. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let's start here with this idea that the husband is supposed to nourish and cherish the union that is his body, just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Can you talk about the meaning behind those words? Sure. It's very beautiful imagery, Anna. The term nourish is actually related to the Greek word for a nurse, um, as Hmm. in like nursing a baby. Oh, wow. And the term cherish is built off a Greek word that was usually used for a mother bird um, brooding her uh, chicks um, with that warmth of, of her body, you know, helping the eggs uh, come to, uh, to life. So you have two very maternal images of, of nursing and brooding a... Um, you know, a nest uh, being used for, first of all, how Jesus cares for us, and then also how a husband um, should care for his wife. And I was truly amazed, uh, Anna, you know, getting into this and, and doing the deeper study on the Word uh, when I was writing the book, um, to find, uh, you could even say, you know, this, this feminine, um, but certainly kind of maternal imagery for for how a, a husband should be so tender wow. uh, towards his, his wife. And like you said, this is, you know, God teaching us about um, how Christian marriage should be. Well, goodness, talk about a great mystery for a man nursing babies <laughs> and, and hatching <laughs> eggs. My goodness. <laughs> well, as we, as we move on in, in these verses, Dr. Bergsma, how does Paul then take us back to the very beginning, back to Genesis? Sure. He quotes that famous line, that the two shall become one. Um, a man shall leave his father, mother, and cleave to his wife. Um, that, you know, that's the old traditional translation, cleave. Mm. Um, more recently, they're translating it as join or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, a, it's a Greek word that, I'm sorry, a Hebrew word uh, in the Old Testament um, that's almost like glued to, you know, it's, it's this adherence, wow. this unbreakable bond, and so it's really implying what we call indissolubility. And, um, and, you know, another interesting thing is Paul doesn't, first of all, apply it to matrimony between a husband and wife. He says the first application is really between Christ and the Church. So the real marriage is Christ and the Church, and then our individual marriages are a reflection of that uh, primary reality rather than the other way around. Wow, wow, wow. That is 
a lot stronger than be joined to. I mean, that you can just kind of gloss over very easily if you're reading along in Scripture. But to say glued to, um, that's a that's a lot stronger imagery. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or stuck on, as in the song, I'm happy to be stuck with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really got a hold on me, you know? Yeah, right. He's on to something there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned in a, a, a previous conversation, Dr. Bergsma, that, that marriage, um, when we're looking at it, the way that Paul, that Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5 is very much like, like ballroom dancing. Can you revisit that imagery for us to talk, uh, to talk about um, how St. Paul closes out this chapter in Ephesians 5? Sure. He talks about um, the husband loving his wife and the wife respecting her husband, and that reflects that leadership role that Paul um, reserves for the husband. Um, and I think it's just helpful to remember that, uh, as I probably said before, you know, all human activities need a, at least a little bit of leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, even something as joyful as dancing, which you do for its own sake because it's enjoyable, and I think that almost all women, if, if you would ask them, you know, would you like to dance with a partner who knows what he's doing and knows the dance well and can lead through the waltz or the cha-cha or whatever confidently? And uh, I think almost all women would say, yeah, I'd rather dance with a partner like that than one who doesn't know what he's doing mm-hmm. and steps on my feet and I have to lead him, et cetera. Because when your partner is leading well, you can relax. And you just follow his lead, and it's just like you flow together. And uh, so I think that's a, a helpful analogy for the kind of leadership in marriage. You know, it's, uh, marriage is a unique relationship because the partners are equal. Um, but even when you're equal, you know, you got to work together, and someone's got to take initiative. And so I encourage young couples to say, hey, to, to think of this as a dance, and, um, and husbands step up, and it's not because you're somehow better or whatever, but it's the role that uh, God asks of you, and when you do it well, it's really a service uh, to your wife. Well, and I love how you close out this part talking about Jesus. Uh, I'll read it right here from the book. It says, Jesus is the perfect example of the husband who leads in a gentle and self-giving way, and the saints are the image of the bride who follows Christ closely in the incredible dance of love the Father has choreographed. Some beautiful imagery that we find in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians once you start scratching below the surface even just a little bit. And so we very much appreciate you doing so for us, Dr. Bergsma, and love basics for Catholics, which folks... You can pick up a copy linked through sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bergsma, thank you. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. I look forward to it. All right, 17 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. 
franchise opportunities available. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. It's always harder to get out of bed when it's cold outside, so... Give yourself something to look forward to, like Mystic Monk Coffee for the first cup of the day. You can find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, and we earn a commission on anything you buy through that link. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can buy through our online store. Check out the mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. You know, we talk story with each of our very unique guests for the whole hour so that you can go deep with us as you yourself pursue your own story of heroic virtue and as you pursue intimacy with God. The Bear Wozniak Adventure, Saturday night, 6 Eastern on EWTN Radio. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. The Israel-Hamas war is intensifying once again in the Gaza Strip. Pope Francis again condemned violence around the world during his general audience yesterday as he looked ahead to Saturday's commemoration of International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And also yesterday for the Feast of St. Francis de Sales, the Vatican released the Pope's message for World Communications Day on AI and the human heart. You know, Anna Mitchell, uh, last hour we were wondering what, you know, hat or jersey Paul Lockman, our engineer, should have been wearing today for the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, his name day, his, right. his feast day. And we had talked about buccaneers and pirates because Paul's shipwreck. You had suggested during the break that mariners, mariners. makes more sense mm-hmm. um, because there's not like sort of like a pejorative connotation. Are the uh, mariners Paul, a train wreck? Uh, well, a shipwreck? They had all those fantastic teams wreck. in the early 2000s that never went anywhere. Yeah. I'm but I was thinking about some, some other pro sports teams that could work for Paul mm-hmm. on the Feast of St. Paul. You've, of course, got Islanders because he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Okay, but today's um, not the Feast of the Shipwreck. Okay, so... well, that's fine. So does that mean he— What about okay. for the conversion? I was going to say Diamondbacks, too, the Broncos. because he, the snake thing. Oh. But the, the, the Broncos and the Colts, they're, they're not on the bottom. How about this one? How about the Chargers? Because the whole book of Acts is just Paul being charged with stuff. Oh, interesting. How about and the Lightning? It, well, the Tampa the Bay Lightning. But then you have to do the Oklahoma City Thunder, too, because of the storm at sea. But mm. you're back on the shipwreck. No, 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 no. The light that shone down on Paul in his conversion. Oh. Lightning. Maybe the Phoenix Suns for that one. Oh, yeah, that would work. Paul was a trailblazer. So happy feast day, Portland. St. <laughs> Paul, pray for us. Subscribe to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes. When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, 
go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. A meditation and reflection of St. John Vianney. The Christian's treasure is not on earth, but in heaven. Our thoughts, then, ought to be directed to where our treasure is. This is the glorious duty of man, to pray and to love. Prayer is nothing else but union with God. In this intimate union, God and the soul are fused together like two bits of wax that no one can ever pull apart. Prayer never leaves us without sweetness. It is honey that flows into the soul and makes all things sweet. When we pray properly, sorrows disappear like snow before the sun. How often we come to church with no idea of what to do or what to ask for. And yet, whenever we go to any human being, we know well enough why we go. I often think that when we come to adore the Lord, we would receive everything we ask for if we would ask with living faith and with a pure heart. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Mark Watkins. Well, every week we love catching up with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com for Bible Foods. She's always got interesting takes uh, showing us where certain foods show up in the Bible, uh, how they were eaten, how they were mentioned, and also giving us good recipes involving those foods. Rita Heikenfeld, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Matt. And as I say, just about every week, you're going to love this recipe. I know I'm going to love this recipe, and I'll tell you why when we get to it. Uh, but first of all... Uh, well, we'll talk about beans because beans are a big part of this, and then we'll get to some of the other recipes. But beans are definitely mentioned in the Bible. I think a lot of people don't realize that beans are mentioned in the Bible. Oh, yeah, my gosh. They were such a staple food, first of all, because uh, most of the people didn't eat uh, meat, which is high in protein, so they turned to beans. And um, when you think of how highly nutritious they were, remember when the foods that were sent to feed King David's hungry army and, and help them get their strength back, included wheat and barley flour, grain, beans, um, lentils, honey, butter, and cheese. And most likely the beans were what we call, what we know now as fava or broad beans. Interesting. Uh, Now, I just discovered this other kind of bean that I'd never really heard of before. Mm-hmm. But my wife uh, is looking for low-carb beans, and she comes across these beans that apparently like, were popular among the Romans, and you can get them pickled. Uh, lupini beans. Have you ever eaten those? No, I haven't. Those sound delicious. Yeah, I, uh, they're, they're fantastic. You just eat them out of a pouch, just like one bean at a time. They're a very hearty bean, like a broad bean. So at any rate, I just wondered if you've ever heard of them. Apparently they were very popular a very long time ago. So well, there you have it. That's something that I'll have to, to research. That sounds that'd be great in this recipe, too, if you can use them dry or canned. Are they just usually so pickled, did you say? Uh, that's the only way I bought them. Oh, okay. <laughs> so well, we'll figure, we'll figure it out. We'll figure that out. Yeah. So beans is a great way to launch into this recipe that you have. It's got a bunch of other Bible foods in it, but tell me about this creamy cannellini bean skillet with cashew cream, which I know, like I say, has a bunch of other Bible foods in it. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah. First of all, um, 
the cashew cream, this is really fun and trendy. Basically, it's raw cashews that you soak and then blend with water. So um, we'll just go quickly through the recipe. You're going to take um, about a half a cup of raw cashews, and you're going to soak them in some hot water enough to cover about 15 minutes. And then, meanwhile, you're going to take some olive oil and film a skillet, and then you're going to add some shallots. Um, they dissolve really nice uh, in this recipe, or red or sweet onion, and you're going to cook that a few minutes. Then um, I like to add about four cups of cherry or grape tomatoes, just whole, and take some garlic, about four cloves or so, Matt, and just uh, peel and slice it real thin and throw that in the skillet. And then I like to add some pepper and salt and just cook that for a couple minutes. And then you can either add about half a cup of white wine or even water, doesn't matter. And then, um, again, you're going to cover and just cook till those tomatoes start to uh, blister and burst a bit. And then you're going to uncover that. Then you're going to just swish the tomatoes up. And then you're going to add a couple cans of cannellini beans, drained but not rinsed, just drained. And then um, you're going to cook that until some of the liquid evaporates. That takes about five minutes. And meanwhile, you're going to drain those cashews and into a blender with about one and fourth cups of water, you're going to blend that just till it's creamy um, and smooth. And then you're going to add that, that what we call cashew cream, to the bean mixture and just cook it till it's thick. And when that happens, I just turn off the heat and throw in some spinach and basil, dry or fresh basil. And you cook that till the spinach wilts. It is delicious with crusty bread or over pasta. We always throw some Parmesan or uh, Pecorino over it. But the cashew cream takes the place of um, whipping cream. You know, it's that dairy thing that some people just can't tolerate. So um, it is just delicious. And something that keep in mind for Lent, too, that will be here before you know it. Yeah, it's a meatless recipe. Uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, But it still has the beans, so you've got like the protein and the fiber right. and some, some stuff to sustain you in the, in the mix of this. So... Uh, well, first of all, I'm I'm grateful for this cashew cream idea because I know there are a lot of people listening right now who probably have, as you mentioned, trouble with dairy. But as you were, uh, as, when you sent me this recipe at first, I'm like, I know I'm going to like this because it's very similar in a lot of ways to one of my favorite comfort food recipes you've ever recommended on the show, which I make all the time this time of year, and that's your pasta fagioli recipe. I um, knew that was what you were going to say with those yeah. different kind of beans and, oh my goodness. It and is, with uh, oregano instead of basil in your pasta fagiole. But, uh, yeah, these, this sounds amazing. Well, and I think it's a, it's a good recipe. Um, not only does it have the olive oil and, and shallots, all those good Bible ingredients, but it's nice for this time of year because it, it doesn't take much time. It's really beautiful and really hearty. Now, here's the thing. If you don't have any raw cashews, and raw cashews really aren't raw. They have been cooked once um, and then processed like that. You can always add, if you want whipping cream, half and half, or a dairy substitute to, you know, make it creamy. But I hope everyone tries it with a cashew cream, because then you'll be very trendy. It's quite trendy now to use what we call cashew cream in place of heavy cream in recipes. Well, I know our listeners are very trendy. Otherwise, they would not be listening to such a hip show this early <laughs> There <morning>. you go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as I'm looking at this, too, you know, you're always uh, – you know, giving us good tips on meals to tote for people who might be sick or recovering from surgery or have a new baby. This sounds like a great comfort food to take to them also. 
Yeah, and then if you do that, just make sure you take uh, the pasta and serve, you know, pack that up separate. Yeah, so people can put as much or as little on as they want. Mm-hmm. Rita Heikenfeld, we've got the whole recipe linked in the show notes, so people can go see that at sunrisemorningshow.com, and they can click on over to your site about eating and find out all kinds of great stuff. Thank you so much as always. Have a wonderful day. I will, Matt, and I'll talk to you next week. Yes, I'm looking through that recipe. All kinds of foods mentioned in the Bible uh, are in the recipe. Olive oils, garlic, uh, white wine, all kinds of good stuff. Check it all out at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The Israel-Hamas war is intensifying. Israel's military said it's intensifying operations around Gaza's second largest city now. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said his forces will continue to fight until they've reached, quote, absolute victory. The U.S., meanwhile, has said it struck more Houthi missiles, weapons depots, and radar sites overnight in Yemen, which were getting ready, apparently, to target ships in the Red Sea. Pope Francis focused on avarice as he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues at his general audience yesterday. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Avarice is a kind of attachment to money that prevents man from generosity, Pope Francis said. È una malattia del cuore, non del portafogli. It is a sickness of the heart, he continued, not of the wallet. Continuing his series of catechesis on the vices and virtues, the Pope explained that avarice is not about how much wealth a person has, but is a sin that affects us in a variety of ways. Following the Desert Fathers, Pope Francis recommended meditating on death as a cure for avarice, saying that the reality of death reminds us that we are not masters of the world, but move about it like pilgrims and strangers. Finally, Pope Francis warned against becoming slaves of our possessions and instead invited us to be generous to all, especially those who need us most. E siamo generosi, generosi con tutti e generosi con coloro che hanno più bisogno di noi. At the end of his general audience on Wednesday, Pope Francis looked ahead to the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, observed on the anniversary of the liberation of Nazi concentration camp at Auschwitz-Birkenau. The Remembrance Day takes place this Saturday, January 27th. As he acknowledged the horrors perpetrated during the Second World War, the Pope once again appealed for an end to all wars, mentioning especially the bombardment of civilians in Ukraine and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Sabato prossimo, 27 gennaio, si celebra la giornata internazionale di commemorazione delle vittime dell'Olocausto. I'm Christopher Wells. On yesterday's feast of St. Francis de Sales, patron of Catholic communicators, the Vatican released the Pope's message for World Communications Day on artificial intelligence and the human heart. In it, he says, quote, it is up to us to decide whether we will become fodder for algorithms or will nourish our hearts with that freedom without which we cannot grow in wisdom. Such wisdom matures by using time wisely and embracing our vulnerabilities, he said, Lest our humanity lose its bearings, let us seek the wisdom that was present before all things. It will help us to also put systems of artificial intelligence at the service of a fully human communication, end quote. 
Ohio lawmakers are banning so-called gender-affirming surgeries and hormones for minors. The Ohio Senate yesterday joined House lawmakers in approving an override of Governor Mike DeWine's veto on House Bill 68. The senators voted 23 to 9 in favor of moving forward with the measure that will ban puberty blockers and reassignment surgeries for anyone in Ohio under the age of 18. The law will also ban boys who identify as girls from competing in female sports from kindergarten through grade 12 and in college programs. The new rules will go into effect in roughly 90 days. Police are on the hunt for the man who disrupted a Manhattan mass on Sunday and pepper sprayed a congregant. Andrew Whitman reports. A mystery man in a blue cap, blue jacket, and khakis walked into the noon mass at historic St. Peter's Roman Catholic Church near Ground Zero, spit on the altar, then pepper sprayed the 70-year-old man who tried to stop him. The NYPD turning to the public for help Wednesday. They say the man ran off east down Barclay Street. No one was hurt. St. Peter's, which opened in 1785, became a sanctuary where rescue workers laboring at Ground Zero could eat and rest. Andrew Whitman, NBC News Radio, New York. And Boeing is ordering a one-day quality stand-down today at one of its factories in Washington as concerns over safety mount. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. The Sunrise If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. What does the church say about excommunication? With regard to the Catholic Church, to be excommunicated is to have been cut off from the sacraments and from participating in liturgical ministry in the Mass or other public worship by the church. Because of the seriousness of excommunication, this level of punishment is applied to only relatively limited types of offenses. These include desecration of the Blessed Eucharist, physical force against the Pope, procuring an abortion, rejection of the Church's teachings through apostasy, heresy, or schism, violation of the seal of confession, and consecration of one bishop by another without mandate by the Pope. In cases of specified very serious offenses, for example, having or participating in the occurrence of an abortion, The mere fact that the act is carried out is cause for the penalty. In other instances, the penalty is not imposed automatically, but only after a thorough investigation of the matter and formally notifying the person involved of the seriousness and potential consequences of the act. If you have concerns or questions about the matter of excommunication, please consult a priest for guidance and direction. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney.
The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, and we've been going through Gary Machuda's excellent book on uh, the veracity, the authority, and uh, the trustworthiness of the scriptures. It's called The Gospel Truth. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, so we talked a little bit last time about the canon and the verification of the canon in general, but today we get to talk about the New Testament specifically. And some people are going to be shocked to hear me say this. Uh, maybe they've never heard it phrased this way. Uh, the Old Testament was not written by Christians, so <laughs> it's a different sort of animal. The New Testament was written by Christians. So how does that change sort of the question of, of, of how we understand this idea of compiling these books together as one book? Yeah, well, if you think about it, um, the, the, uh, the apostles, um, the Gospels were circling amongst the Christians, you know, copies were made and circulated. And so there, there develops this corpus of works that uh, was recognized very early on as sacred scripture. But really, Matt, the problem is, when do you end it? Because, as you know, not all the, the books of the New Testament were written by the apostles. Uh, for example, Luke was uh, a follower of St. Paul, and Mark was a hearer of Peter. So we know that inspired works could be written by the associates of the apostles. Well, when do you draw the line and say, okay, there's no more books that can be found in the New Testament? And, you know, that takes a little while for uh, that cutoff date to become secure, because what I believe happens is as you move on from the first century, uh, the Christians have a standard set of works that they read in the liturgy as sacred scripture, and it's only you know a, a while afterwards that you can see a distinctive cutoff date of when the canon of the New Testament ends. Yeah, and that's a that's a huge question. But you know, it strikes me that, that we experience this concept of the New Testament so much differently than those first generations of Christians would. I mean, here in right. The 21st century, you and I are on the ABC cycle where one year we get a lot of Mark, another year we get a lot of Matthew, another year we get a lot of Luke. Uh, if you were a first century Christian, you might have only had one of those, <laughs> right? right? Period. You might not even even like been aware of the existence of Luke's gospel. You might have only known Matthew. So uh, how did—this this idea of, of there are four total— uh, no more, no less, faithful witnesses. I mean, how early can we trace the, the idea of the Church saying, or, or at least Church Fathers saying, for no more, no less? Yeah, well, uh, the earliest is Irenaeus of Lyon, who was writing about AD 180. So it's very early on, and when Irenaeus mentions this, it, it's not like a newfangled idea. It was kind of a settled belief that there are four and only four Gospels that come from the first century. And uh, so, you know, it appears that the Gospels are very well set very early on. And of course, you know, today we hear about uh, other Gospels, like Gnostic Gospels, uh, Gospel of Judas, things like that. Those were written much, much later, and they don't have the same pedigree as the four. So, so you know, the long answer to your short question is... Uh, you know, very early on, uh, by the mid to the end of the second Christian century, that was universally accepted as only four Gospels. Well, it, it is interesting to me, uh, again, 
I'm just thinking of something like the Church of Ephesus. The Church of Ephesus would have definitely had the letter to the Ephesians, <laughs> right? Right. They right. would have had that, but that wouldn't be the first thing that they had, right? They would have gotten the gospel uh, many years before they ever got the letter to the Ephesians because Paul hung out with them day and night for years, getting the gospel yeah. to them that way. So it just it's it seems interesting to me. Like, what would what would a celebration of an early mass be if you don't have the current structure of the first reading, the second reading, the responsorial psalm, and the gospel, because you don't have all those things in one book yet. Yeah, yeah. And and the answer to that is the, the first Christians focused mainly on what we call the Old Testament, right? Because if you want to understand what the Messiah was uh, charged to do, you would look at the Messiah text in the Old Testament. And when you look at the earliest Christian writings written outside of the Bible, which is called the Apostolic Fathers, what you find in these writings is there are very, very few, comparatively, uh, citations from the New Testament. They're loaded with Old Testament citations. So probably, you know, the lectionary of the first Christians would be dominated by uh, Old Testament text, and then uh, you might have some Gospels and a few letters, you know, at least very early on, and then that eventually begins to grow and take shape. Yeah, it's fascinating to me because, you know, in one of the books that does make it into the canon, Second Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy uh, a, a, a piece of advice, um, a piece of wisdom that a lot of Protestants will cite as evidence for sola scriptura in the Bible. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Well, the problem with this is that Paul is telling this to Timothy before the New Testament has yeah. has kind of happened. Uh, you know, so when Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed, Paul's talking about Genesis to Malachi. He's talking about the Old Testament, right? Yeah, yeah, at least specifically the Old Testament. But, you know, very early on, though, uh, we see this in uh, the epistles of Peter, even Paul's writings begin to be put on par with Scripture. But there was nothing like a complete New Testament when Paul was saying those words. Yeah, yeah. So then you mentioned that the edges of this are fuzzy, and uh, we can get into uh, a couple of those books that uh, were on the on the fence a little bit <laughs> that eventually yeah. made it in. But the question is, in those early days, who's deciding? Like, who's deciding we're going to use this one uh, and we're not going to use this one. Is it just the individual communities? Is it the bishop of those towns? Is there a general consensus? Uh, are there pockets uh, of things that where everybody says this book is in, and a few people like this one, but a few people don't? Like, who's deciding? Yeah, well, the beautiful thing is the Christianity is the body of Christ. And so each individual church isn't like an independent congregation. Rather, they're all part of one body. And so you can see, even in the New Testament, an effort to try to copy and exchange writings so that, uh, you know, each, each individual church building is part of a larger network. So, it, so the answer to your question would be really sacred tradition and the, the body of the church as a whole. You know, it was this uh, organic unity amongst the churches that you start building consensus on which books are sacred and which ones aren't. And again, we uh, we have some church fathers who come up with lists of 
of things, and eventually the church uh, gets in council uh, together and and uh, lays these out uh, in, in a concrete way over over the course of a few years. Uh, but in the meantime, it is fascinating to think about how this must have developed from the beginning. Uh, we've been talking with Gary Machuda, and his book is called The Gospel Truth, and it's about verifying uh, the reliability of the scriptures. If people want to find your book and find what you're doing with hands-on apologetics, how do they do so? Yeah, they could just go to handsonapologetics.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Gary, thank you as always. Have a great day. You too, Matt. And don't forget, when you go over uh, to our site, be sure to subscribe to the show notes. Get uh, emails delivered to your inbox every day, including some of the prayers that we pray to kick off the hour. And in the case of today, since it's Thursday, you got a recipe from Rita for a cannellini bean cashew skillet, which looks amazing. So subscribe in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Courtney Brown joins us next. It's 14 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or of an agenda that people don't want to talk about. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Tonight, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Aiken is here. Open forum, Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 minutes before the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. The Israel-Hamas war continues to intensify in the Gaza Strip, with Israel saying operations are increasing around the region's second largest city. Pope Francis focused on avarice as he continued his catechesis, can I say that, catechesis series on vices and virtues at his general audience yesterday. And on the Feast of St. Francis de Sales yesterday, the Vatican released the Pope's message for World Communications Day on artificial intelligence and the human heart. 
You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Ruwa Woods Institute. We've been getting a series of mini lessons based on Ruwa Woods's K through 12 curriculum, Theology of the Body curriculum for schools called Revealed. If you're a teacher, principal, want to look it out, look look it up. You can go to ruawoodsinstitute.org. Courtney, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine and excited to talk to you about this. We're going to get another lesson from the fourth grade curriculum today and talking about authentic love. How do you even begin to teach authentic love to a kid? So it's a great question. And actually, just if you were as a reminder, when we start out the fourth grade series with that book that we talked about, Pepe the Lamplighter, okay. yeah. um, and have how each of us has a certain particular purpose and value that we offer, and we're so interconnected. Well, the source of that interconnection is obviously God who has designed us to understand that we're created for love, and the fact that we're given freedom to choose to do the good of the other is that so freedom exists for the sake of love. So to really kind of bring this home to such a young age, you know, we start talking and defining what uh, love means and as to will the good of the other. And so what we do is we kind of, you know, you start talking through this uh, concept of authentic love with them and you start asking questions and we do a guided discussion, but essentially in a way of just asking, um, how does the world define, how do we use the, how do we use the word love? You know, people, like people say, I love pizza, I love, you know, I love my blah, blah, blah. Or... I will the good of the pizza. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. So <laughs> it's kind of a problem in the English language that we have like one word we use interchangeably for love to mean all different kinds of context. But the reality is, is like where we really trying to center the kids is on this idea that God had created us for himself and that he created us to be in communion with others and that there's essentially love is directed to another, not just for yourself. So it's just um, this this way of really running them through an activity that kind of like tells them what love is not. And one of the things that they do in that authentic love activity is they have road signs at the end where they kind of write warning. Oh, yeah, uh, let me pull this fake, up for the video feed. Yeah, like warning, you know, uh, fake love, or I forget the word they use there, but it's just a, basically a sign of what love is not. Mm-hmm. And then it's for them to really kind of chew on what are what's an actual way in which I can love. You know, and that kind of, they, kids get it. It's, you know, you, you kind of, when you put them in scenarios and situations, they really start to understand that, you know, what it truly means to love another is probably willing their good and my good. You know, that's another thing, too. It's a little bit concept that I'm not so sure fourth graders are, we start to, con- we start to get them to understand that the good is not arbitrary, that it's not just your good, it's sure. the other's good, but it's also good for the common good, right? The, the church has, the common, common good, which is always leading to God who is good. And God, in a sense, the fact goodness always wants to offer itself. Mm. You know, so he is the essence wow. of goodness. So, yeah. yeah. So that's where we try to really satiate them in that idea of what it means to give to the other, which then leads to the discussion of the next lesson, which is how marriage is a sign of heaven. Well, actually, before we get to marriage, can I um, can I bring up one point that I think is so important here? Uh, because yes. you're talking to fourth graders, so they're not married yet. Correct. 
Um, right. Can Can you talk about this point that you don't have to be married to love authentically? That's right. In fact, um, if you kind of think about how JP2 was doing this in the theology of the body, starting from that initial principle that we're created as a son and daughter of God, and the idea that we're created in his, in his image and the blueprint of who he is, that he gives of himself. So that idea of being a son means I'm someone's brother, and that I'm, yep. I'm someone's sister if I'm a daughter. So we, our natural activity flows into this idea that we're, we're brothers and sisters. So the idea of friendship really comes into play, and how important it is to really look at friendship. That's another word that's used very loosely in our culture, right? Like, we just kind of throw that word out there. Yep. And social media has made it a little more, like, um, you know, casual, like, oh, everybody's mm-hmm. my friend, or like, or whatnot. But it was before then, too. I mean, growing up, like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He's my friend. Mm-hmm. And the, the reality is, is, like, I probably was more of an acquaintance. It's probably someone I know. We've had a couple conversations. But the idea of real friendship is that active, like, as they would say in the Greek term, philia, brotherly love. To the idea of which I want what's best for you, regardless if it means you will no longer talk to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, that that's the extreme version of that friendship, but that, that's ex- exactly it. And I'll give you an example. In fourth grade, when I was a principal, every year, without a doubt, a kid would come into my office because he got caught copying homework or cheating. Mm-hmm. Now, in our culture, in American culture, copying homework is almost a seen an act of virtue for your friend, that your friend's in a tough spot. Yeah. He didn't do his math homework. He's like, here, I got you back. So I would use that opportunity to show the and talk to the kids through this and say, who are you affecting when you do that? And just lead them through this conversation. And you know, it's funny, as I would do that, they'd say, I, I hurt my teacher, I hurt my parents, I hurt myself. But they rarely would get to their friend, and I'd, I'd pull it out of them. I'd say, who else do it? And they're like, uh, my friend. Yes. Mm. So not only did you get to zero, you pulled your friend in on this. And is that really loving your friend? And they're like, no. And then that's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm talking about this, this idea of friendship is where kids can learn what it truly means to authentically love. This is all, as I used to tell teens when I was doing kenosis, so it was like marriage prep does not start the moment you say, will you marry me? It's yep. kind of started already. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And that's why we, go, we are going through these mini lessons on the morning show and encouraging people to go check out the revealed curriculum through the Rua Woods Institute so that the teachers and principals and and schools can can help their kids really start that vocation prep, that marriage prep um, at at such an early age, starting even in in kindergarten. We've been talking about fourth grade curriculum today. I think, Courtney, maybe we can set aside marriage and the priesthood for the next time we get together because we've run out of time here. In the meantime, if uh, there is a teacher listening or a principal listening and they want to uh, get in touch and learn more about this revealed curriculum, how do they do so? Uh, they can come straight to ruralwoodsinstitute.org and then reach out from there. So, And you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Really great conversation today, Courtney. Thank you so much. No problem. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. We got another hour coming up for our local audience and anyone listening via the Sunrise Morning Show app. If you'd like to download that, you can find it at our website, sunrisemorningshow.com. Until tomorrow, EWTN, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.